Well, again, if you just walked in, you guys hear me okay? I hear that it carries in here, but this is a lot of people. Um, I'm Oliver, and I'm the new campus minister here, and this is actually my first large group at Wofford ever, so that's pretty awesome. Ooh, let's turn that this way. Can you hear me now? Okay. Just need a little bit of amplification. Um, and just want to emphasize, I hope you've already felt this, but that whoever you are, um, whatever you've done, um, wherever you're from, you're completely welcome here. Um, and RUF is really here to help you understand, learn more wherever you are in the process of what it means to trust in Jesus and to follow him. Uh, and we're really hoping that in some ways, in little ways, we can facilitate your growth in faith during this really like formative time of college. And at RUF, we believe the best way to do that is to look at the Bible. Because the Bible is where we meet Jesus, and it's where we come to face-to-face with his grace and with his beauty. And really, you could view the whole Bible of just, as just this massive story of how God is redeeming the whole world through Jesus Christ. And particularly in RUF, we want you to understand that story and then see, like, how, how does your life connect with that story? And particularly to know that Jesus loves you, uh, that he is coming to you with his grace, and he wants you to find life and joy and rest. And we're going to do that this semester by looking at the book of Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. I had a really good friend uh, from seminary who was uh, a graduate of Cambridge University, University, pretty bougie. Um, and I got the experience, me and Kim, uh, he graduated a year early, and we went out and met him and got to go with him to kind of tour and look around his alma mater one day. And uh, I remember we walked right up there to the gate, got those beautiful Harry Potter-looking buildings in the background and this just amazing, like even more manicured and perfect lawn than Wofford's lawns. And there was this big like lawn in front of the sign and this was at uh, my friend's particular college, King's College. And it was like, basically it said private King's College members only, please keep off the lawn unless you're accompanied by a member of the college. And my friend just like opened the gate we just walked straight through with no consequences. We went into like one of those beautiful buildings and they had like complimentary espresso they had got to have. And then we even got to take out one of those punting boats. You know, it's like kind of like the British version of the gondoliers and go down the canal, like no charge at all. And if we had been there on the right day, they have these really fancy, like lavish meals. They have like their own wine stewards in each college and like anyone who's with a member of the college can come to those meals. We were only able to have that kind of access to experience those kind of benefits there because we were with my friend. My connection to him just changed my whole experience at that university. Who you're connected to really can change everything. Maybe you came to Wofford with that in mind. You're thinking, if I come here, I'm going to develop the kind of connections that are going to get me where I want to be in life and set me up for long-term success. 
Well, there's one message that shows up in all throughout Philippians. It's that connection to Jesus changes everything. And that's what we're going to look at, just start to dip our feet in uh, tonight. And for you note takers, I've got classic three-pointer. We've got the need for real connection, the beauty of real connection, and the source of real connection. So if you turn with me, uh, look in the bulletin or look in your own Bibles at Philippians 1, 1 through 8, and uh, I'll read that and pray again for our time looking at this. Philippians 1, 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are not silent, that you clearly and continually speak to us through your word, and we pray we might hear your voice here in the words of Paul. Father, I thank you for just everyone here that's taken time out of their evening to come and hear your word. Help all of us here to understand more of your love for us, more of your grace towards us in Christ, more of the power of your spirit to change us. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Well, I recently heard about this movie. It's super old. I probably don't, probably none of you have heard of it. I'm going to be amazed. Come up to me afterwards or raise your hand or something if you know it. It's called Charlie Bartlett. It's not really like a great movie, but the premise of it is pretty interesting. It's basically about this, uh, the main character is this high school student. He's from a really wealthy family. And he basically just keeps getting kicked out of all these private schools that he's in. And he finally ends up in this public school and he's, the whole movie he's like trying to find his place there. And he, he ends up finding it by basically becoming the de facto school therapist. He had, his office uh, is in the men's restroom and students basically come to him for help, and he not only gives them advice, but he even gives them medication. And you're probably wondering, like, how does this high schooler medication? Well, he's going to a psychiatrist himself, and he's in his free time in the library reading all these psychological books and figuring out what the symptoms and the diagnoses are. And so he's going to a psychiatrist pretending to have those symptoms and getting the medication and then giving it out to students. And I hope you're thinking maybe this is a bad idea. Uh, And that's what happens. Uh, One of the students uh, ends up overdosing. And Charlie is devastated. And he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not giving out medication. But I will stay here. I will be here in my office in the men's restroom for anyone who just wants to come 
and share and talk. And to his surprise, even more students are lining up. Everyone, like the nerds, the jocks, the cheerleaders, the drama kids, all the different people, little camps in high school, all of them want to talk to Charlie. And again, there's nothing special about this kid. He just like quickly read through the DSM-5 and maybe has a little bit of a charming personality. Why are all these students lining up? Well, if you watch the movie, you, you get the impression that maybe it's because there's some part of Charlie, as someone who has gone through a lot of struggle himself, that truly wants to know and care for his fellow students. And I think that's what we all want. We want to be known and cared for. We want to have people in our life who get us. Maybe you're like really feeling this, your first, especially your first years, or even just people that are back after being away from here for the summer. You were with family and friends that you had that closeness with, and now you're back here. Maybe you're brand new here, and you're wanting to fit in. You're wanting to be known and cared for. Frankly, if I'm honest with you guys, even though I'm a 34-year-old guy up here with two kids, I feel a little bit like a Wofford freshman. Like I, I want to be known and appreciated for who I am. I, I want to fit in here. This need for real connection, it's not just an imaginary thing. It's not just something the, the weak of us experience. But it is embedded, like, even physically in us. Uh, there, there's this guy, John, I, I can barely pronounce his Italian last name. Someone who's Italian is going to have to come up here and tell me after. I think it's Cacciopo. I, I needed to look that up. Anyway, this guy, he's the director for the Center of Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. And basically, in his book, he did a book on loneliness, and he discovered that uh, like in lonely people, he consistently found higher levels of epinephrine, like the stress hormone. And he writes, when we drew blood and analyzed their white blood cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way genes were being expressed. Like loneliness is not only just affecting your brain in the moment, he's saying the basic process of DNA transcription is being affected by something as simple as just being alone. When you're, when you're lonely, your whole body is lonely. Mentally, spiritually, physically, we need connection. It's as crucial as diet, as exercise, as grades. And yet the reality is we often feel really disconnected and really lonely. I mean, I know you, a lot of you guys probably felt that uh, back during the pandemic, especially. But we felt that way before the pandemic. You can be in a room filled with people. You can be here right now and feel totally lonely. And maybe you felt it. You've like been at a party and you're like trying to have conversations with people, but you just feel like I have no, nothing in common with people here. Maybe you do, like, I'm going to actually say something. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to track, like, crack a joke or something, and it's, like, totally misunderstood, and you just end up feeling even more alienated. Or maybe, you, I know a lot of you guys here are, like, really good at conversation. Like, you 
can go into the party and like work the room, like especially if there maybe is a drink in your system. But maybe still at times you have the suspicion, is this real connection? Or am I just like auditioning here to prove that I'm someone worth connecting with? You know, many of you, I've, it's, I've spent a little too much time on Instagram at the beginning of the semester, and like I've you know, seen people, you, you guys following us, and I'm like, oh man, they have a lot of followers. Some of you like post something and like, I don't know, 30 minutes later you've got 300 likes or something like that. You probably seem really connected when we look at your profile. But the question is, are those people really knowing and enjoying you? Do they actually care about you? And what would happen if you did something that was just a total failure? If you just made a complete mess of your life? What if you quit posting the pictures of the awesome vacations you were taking? What if you admitted, hey, I'm, I'm actually being really crushed by the demands of life and I am anxious and depressed? Would people still know you and love you, care for you, and press that like button? We all come here tonight with a need for real connection. And I hope that's what struck you about this passage as we read it. Like how deeply Paul has connected to the Philippians. And this brings us to our second point, the beauty of real connection. Let's look back at Paul's prayer in verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, I thank my God. In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Maybe to some of us this seems like way too gushy, like Paul, chill out. <laughs> like this is just kind of over the top Christianese language. Like is this, is this real? But before you jump to that conclusion, Remember, like, Paul is not sitting over in Little River enjoying his latte and a chocolate croissant and writing in his beautiful, like, leather-bound journal. Not that there's, there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but he's in prison. He is literally chained to a Roman guard. He is utterly dependent on friends to provide him what he needs. He is in this situation of immense suffering. He could die. He could be killed. He's waiting an execution, possible execution sentence. These are not just easy words from someone who just has an easy life. And I think if you read it with that background, it, it's hard not to see. There's, there's something beautiful happening here. These are people he deeply knows and cares for, and it, it's a return to him. And the word Paul uses to describe this connection is that a word that shows up in many places in the Bible. It's the word translated partnership here, uh, but in Greek it's the word koinonia, in it, and you often see it elsewhere translated fellowship. And I think when you hear that word, especially if you grew up in a Christian context, 
you're probably thinking like, oh yeah, like coffee before church or like that big meal that we have like once a month or something like that. But to Paul's audience, that word would have had uh, almost more of the connotation of people going into a joint business venture together. And perhaps the most famous example of this sense of the word fellowship, maybe you already guessed what I'm going to go to, is the Lord of the Rings. What brings four hobbits, a dwarf, an elf, two humans, a wizard, I hope I didn't leave anybody out, into the fellowship of the ring? Like it's not just a meal together, though the hobbits were like all about that all the time. If you've watched the movies or you've read the books, the deep connection that they have that evolves over the course of that story is because they're on this common mission together to take the ring of power, to bring it to Mordor, to be destroyed, and save Middle-earth. Christians are in a fellowship of the gospel. We have this common mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. And if you dig more into Paul and the Philippians, that's, you'll find that's exactly what was going on. I mean, this whole letter was written because the Philippians had sent financial support to Paul while he was in prison. There was this deep bond between them because Paul had poured out his life getting this Philippian church started, telling those people about Jesus for the very first time. And now they're pouring out their resources for him so that he might continue to be about that mission. And when I, I, when I think of fellowship uh, and this kind of idea of it, uh, my mind goes back to uh, the house I lived in my junior and senior year of college. Uh, and it was, was with five other guys who were involved with RUF. And uh, we were, a lot of us were musicians and bands. So we would like throw these house show parties and like have different bands play. We'd make dinner all together all the time. And we wouldn't really keep a record of like who was, you know, who had paid for what. But we also like constantly got into arguments about who did the dishes. Uh, at one point, one summer, like we all refused to cut the lawn. Uh, and it got so high that we actually got like cited by the local government. Um, another summer, a roommate had a mental breakdown and his family just came and picked him up. And uh, we were just left with this total mess in the room to pick up. And I'm, I'm saying all of that to say that to live in our house was costly and complicated. I could have saved a lot more money and probably a lot of emotional energy just like living in a studio apartment by myself. But I came out of that house rich with koinonia, friends that I like am still talking with, keeping up with today, friends that are partnering with me, supporting me to be doing RUF. And as I look back at like what, what, why was our bond so deep? It was not just the parties, but it was this common cause that was flowing under it. We all wanted to use our home as this fun, hospitable face, place to, to love others with. Real connection, it's beautiful, but that beauty is forged in the context of a greater cause with ordinary sacrifice. It's costly, but it's infinitely better than the self-destructive loneliness of being connected to just our own agenda only. So if you're here, you're looking for real connection, look for people 
who are rallying around a common cause that actually is going to matter, that's going to matter eternally. And if Jesus really is who he claims to be, the Son of God resurrected from the dead, like what, what could be a greater cause than knowing him and making him known? Yeah, I, as I've gotten to know uh, Wofford RUF, uh, I'm thankful that I already see a lot of this going on. Uh, I got a big taste of that uh, around the end of the semester. I think it might have been the last large group or the large group when it was announced that I was going to be coming here to take over for Matt. And like 50 of you guys like texted me all at once. I was actually at large group at summer conference with the, the RUF I was serving at previously. And it's just like my phone's blowing up just overflowing with these strangers, like wanting to welcome me and encourage me. And I hope if you've come here tonight or you've come to some of our events, you're, you're feeling maybe this is a community I can find real connection with. But I wanna really dig into why is that the case if it is at all? Like, did we just go and like secretly pay all the nice people at Wofford to come here or like do a draft or something? Like what, what would, move us to actually set down our own agendas and care about something greater. And that brings us to our last point, the source of real connection. I mean, we all know, like there is so much in us that gets in the way of connecting with others. Our love is fickle. It's often exclusive in nature. We naturally trend toward alienation from God and from each other. Like roommates, great on our nerves, friends and families disappoint us. We often feel misunderstood. And we often find ourselves settling for counterfeit forms of connection through alcohol and sex and building our image. And Paul and the Philippians wrestled with all this too. So how in the world, especially in the situation that they're in, can they have this deep connection? Well, the answer is found in a little phrase that is all over this letter. In Christ. Look back at verse 1. The very first way Paul describes the Philippians, the saints in Philippi who are in Christ Jesus. This little prepositional phrase that we, we might just skip over, it appears 19 more times in this letter alone. I think if you, you ask Paul, okay, what's the one identifier you put in your Instagram bio to like say who you are. He would say in Christ, everything Paul does, every, how he sees himself, how he sees others is filtered through this phrase. In Christ is Paul's shorthand way of communicating this very big theological reality uh, that some theologians have called union with Christ. Union with Christ is the spiritual connection to Christ that we have through the gospel through believing and trusting in Christ through salvation. It's more than just being forgiven of your sin. Union with Christ is this new reality that, that enters into our lives when we trust in Jesus that gives us more than we can ever want. It gives us not only forgiveness, but adoption into a new family, new life, a new purpose, a new home, a new community. Our selfish hearts, like these sick and just dying branches, are taken and grafted in into this healthy tree that is Christ, and it starts pumping life into it. 
if, our, if real connection is happening here at all, if it's happening in your life, it's happening in our life, it's because we've been first connected to Christ. He is the source of real connection. And I, I just love how Paul fleshes this out in, in connection with his deep relation with the Philippians in verse 8. He says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this word is like another really funny Greek word. It literally could be translated guts. It's like used all over the Gospels when it, you see Jesus having compassion for people, having compassion for the crowds. Because in the ancient world, the guts were like, that was where your emotions happened. And it's as if Paul is saying, through this union with Christ that I have, like Christ's heart is now residing in me. He's telling the Philippians, like, the way I feel about you, it, it's not just my own emotions that I originated. It's coming from Christ's feelings about you, from his power, from his grace. It's no longer just me and my emotions. Christ is within me. And I think Paul, he wants them to know this uh, because I think he, he deeply knows this is true. If you know Paul's history before he knew Christ, he hated Christians like the Philippians. He was literally like seeking them out, going town to town to kill them. And then Jesus burst into his life, connected Paul to himself. And to Paul's surprise, suddenly he has this overflowing love for these people that he once hated. If you feel real love here, it's alien love. It didn't originate in us. It's borrowed. It, it doesn't come from us. It flows from Christ through us. As Hunt just said earlier, we love because he first loved us. We reach out and connect with others because he first reached out into our lostness and connected us to himself. And that wasn't cheap. That was incredibly costly for Christ. He had to receive the exact opposite. He had to be utterly disconnected from the Father. He received like what you all are just desperately afraid of. Being rejected, being told you don't belong, being cast out and forsaken. He received that so that the way of connection might be opened up to us. And that's such good news. Uh, that Jesus' love can be flowing through us because it's so much better than our love. It, it's a love that, like, its foundation, as we just sang about, is in the triune God who existed before the world created. That's where love and connection and community came. <laughs> That's the blueprint of it. That's why we're so hardwired for it. That's why when we dropped off our daughters at the new preschool the first couple times. They were crying. That's why the pandemic was hard, even for you introverts that like really enjoyed it for the first couple weeks. And that's the gospel invitation to us tonight, that through Jesus we can connect to that eternal love and fellowship that has existed from eternity. And once again, this is good news because it means the pressure is off to perform. 
Like you don't have to come here tonight being like, I got to prove that I'm really worth being known and loved. Like you are, you're made in the image of Christ. And if you trust in Christ, even more so Christ now dwells in you by the spirit. And that also means the pressure is off for us that are trying to love others when it often is really difficult. We're not relying on our own resources. We're not relying on our own fickle emotions of love. Imperfect as we are, in Christ we have the radically inclusive, divine love of God that makes outsiders inside just pulsating through us. And maybe you're thinking, okay, this is great, that sounds great, I get it, I need real connection with others, and I see the beauty of it, and it comes from Jesus, but like, how do I practically make this happen? Like, I have been coming to church for years and years and years, and I do not feel connected. Well, think about just the overarching context here. What's the bulk of the passage we just read? Prayer. Prayer is the practical, one of the practical answers to this problem. Prayer is the central way our fellowship with God begins to intersect with our fellowship with others. Prayer is how Jesus as a source of real connection gets fleshed out in our lives Prayer is, is, is such a big deal uh, that the Reformed Presbyterian tradition I, I, that RUF comes from calls it a means of grace. And, and that means there's something uniquely profound that's happening. The Holy Spirit is active in a way he's not active in other things in prayer. If I can brag again about RUF at Wofford, again, as an outsider coming in, this is, has nothing to do with me. I, I love that I've heard, I heard from Matt, that, that RUF is becoming more of a praying ministry. But not, not every RUF or campus ministry gets together for a separate time every week just for the purpose of praying together. Shameless plug for Common Prayer every Tuesday here at 11 a.m., just 20 minutes. Uh, shameless plug as well for small groups. Uh, it's a great, great context to be praying for each other too. But my point is the, the increasing prayerfulness of RUF and the joy and community people find here, those aren't just like coincidental things. Those are deeply interconnected. I mean, think about the deepest relationships you have. What are they characterized by? Like I, I know for me, the people that, that are the people that get me, that are my go-to people, are the friends and family that I can just text on a whim and say, hey, I, I am really struggling. Like, please pray for me. Probably the, the person I was closest to in my family, especially in my teenage years, uh, was my grandmother. And the one thing I remember her saying to me every single time I visited her, right, right as I was leaving, was just this deepest sincerity. She said, I'm praying for you. Please know I'm praying for you. A praying community that's connected to Jesus and is on common mission together, it's going to be a place of real connection. And so if you're looking for that, like bring that desire to Jesus in prayer and look to others who are doing that as well. Again, connection to Jesus Christ by his grace through faith connects us to Jesus' people, Jesus' mission, and Jesus' power, and that changes everything. And that's what this letter is about, and we're gonna—that's how we're gonna frame the study. And, and I pray 
that you guys will see more of the beauty of Christ and the beauty of following him as we continue to go through Philippians this semester. Let me close us in prayer. And then the band will come up. We'll sing one more song. Father, we thank you for Paul and for the church at Philippi. And what what a beautiful picture their relationship is of a real connection that we long for. And we, we confess that we often are prayerless and selfish and we're often radically exclusive rather than inclusive by nature. And we shape our lives around our own agendas and we look for counterfeit forms of connection. And so we ask, please, by your spirit, change our hearts like you change Paul's. Make a deep love for your people. Dwell more in us. And make our hearts more just sincerely uh, desiring and thankful for one another. Help us to find real connection and the resources to truly love others in Christ by faith. And we pray this in his name. Amen.